Tonight's Bible reading comes from Acts 6, starting at verse 1. And it can be found on page 708 in the Red Bibles and 1008 in the Black Bibles. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicana, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a, pro- sorry, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Thanks, Mel. Hello, everybody. Uh, hopefully you've got an outline there in the uh, handout, and you've got your Bibles open. Please just uh, join me in a prayer as we ask God to speak to us and to help us. Our loving Heavenly Father, again, we do just thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who created us, who cares for us, who speaks to us through your word and by your spirit. And we pray now that you would help us to be people who listen and love to trust and obey what you say. Uh, Lord, that we might be concerned about the things that you're concerned about. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, when you ask the question, what does God really care about? Uh, If we went through the whole Bible, we'd have a whole lot of answers. And there is a ton of answers for what does God really care about. Uh, But each of the books of the Bible is there for a reason. And there's often something of God's character that God really wants us to understand. And when it comes to the book of Acts, uh, he really wants us to understand that he really, 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 really cares about people hearing his word and about people hearing it in such a way uh, that he can call them in, that they can respond, that they can join his people. He cares that people are saved and he cares about people hearing what God has to say. Now, um, uh, let me just give you a little flow through the book of Acts and have a listen to some of those statements that talk about that sort of stuff, which are sort of summaries of what God cares about. Acts 2.41, so those who accepted his message were baptised that day and about 3,000 people were added to them. Chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. Chapter 5, verse 14. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, crowds of both men and women. Chapter 12, verse 24. Then God's message flourished and multiplied. Chapter 19, verse 20. In this way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. Now you've got your Bibles open, look at verse 7 again from chapter 6. Another summary statement and another reminder of what God cares about. So the preaching about God flourished. 
the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Can you see what God's concerned about? Can you see what God cares about? He cares about his word getting out there. He cares about his word flourishing and spreading out and getting heard. He cares about numbers. He cares about people being saved. He cares about people coming into his people, into the church. He really, really cares about it because playing church is not a joke. There really is a hell. There really is a heaven. There really is a God. We're not here long. And it's really important that people hear and the way that God saves people is through people hearing the gospel message going out. This is the only way he does it. He uses his word. So God is really concerned that his word gets out there from you and from me and from us as a church. He wants his word out there and he wants people saved. And he's calling people in from all around the world and he calls them in as they hear this message. And that's why, if I can just go sideways, that's why Sue and I support Pete and Kath uh, because we want the gospel not just here where we're responsible, but we want to care about the world and we want to uh, make sure the gospel is getting out. So I highly recommend uh, that uh, you get behind them prayerfully and financially. You see, really what this is saying is the Great Commission. The gospel spreading is the Great Commission. Jesus said, go make disciples. There it is on the wall. That's just what we're seeing in Acts. He really does care about it. Uh, but there's lots of things that get in the way of us doing what he said. Starts off because we're new Christians, we're immature, but sometimes that's when we share Jesus more than any other time. Other times it's a threat of people making fun of us. Other times it's just looking around at one another and look like one another's not doing it. So why should I do it? Because it's all hidden and silent. Or uh, It can be a whole bunch of different reasons. But what we see in Acts is God dealing with and God's people dealing with all the things that come up and get in the way that are barriers to the word going out and people being saved by God and being brought into his community, into his family. Get rid of them, remove them. And uh, what we've seen, uh, well, what we do see, that in the end, that uh, not in the end, but behind all these is also our enemy, the devil, who is trying very hard to put us off and to put the church off, to put us off individually, to put us off as a church, to put us off as a denomination, to put us off, however, so that we won't do what God asked us to do, so that we won't be concerned with people being saved, so we won't be concerned with numbers, so that we won't be concerned that God's people are hearing, are taking at his word, so that God can call people in. And we've been looking at some of the things that the devil has been using uh, to put the church off. He started off with persecution. So he starts persecuting the early church. And we heard the early leaders saying, don't you speak in Jesus's name. Be silent about Jesus. Your, your teaching is spreading everywhere. Stop it. Be silent. And uh, we saw uh, that God's people will not respond to that. They will keep speaking up because we obey God, not men. And so the devil tries persecution. And persecution comes in lots of different forms. Uh, and, uh, you know, we know all about it uh, and the temptation to be silent 
He uses persecution to keep us silent. And then a couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw the, uh, the, the problem of hypocrites, really, with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And so that the hypocrites in the church, so that they look like they're really following God, but they're not really following God. And that can confuse people and put people off and get people to pretend rather than to really respond to God and be his people. And now when we get to chapter 6, what we see is another type of barrier. And this barrier is grumbling and dissension. It's internal problems that are putting them off, that can put them off from taking the gospel out so that people can be heard, so that God can save people and bring people into his church. And so if you've got the outline, we're going to hear five things that will help us, uh, that will guide us, that we notice from this passage, that will help us deal with barriers that come up that try to put us off spreading the gospel individually and as a church. Uh, it isn't particularly prescriptive, it's just descriptive, but we learn so much uh, from the way they dealt with it as a way to guide us in how we should deal with things and issues that come up in the church. And what we're going to see is that when grumbling and dissension happens in the church, uh, that uh, uh, it will, uh, well, what we're going to see is that when grumbling and dissension stops, then the word of God spreads, people are saved, and the church grows. Dissension puts people off, and all the things that God wants us to do gets on the back burner. Five things for us to notice. Grumbling and dissension stops, the word spreads, people are saved, and the church grows when, one, problems are dealt with quickly. You'll know about this. If you don't deal with something, if you have an issue with someone, if you have an issue with a church, if you don't deal with it quickly, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it's so hard to deal with. Deal with things quickly. And so uh, verse 1 and 2. In those days, as uh, the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now, what you need to understand is in the early church, there's no such thing as welfare. There was no dole. There was no one else to look after you. It was you were on your own. And the responsibility for looking after the elderly, disabled, disadvantaged, all the things that happen in life fell into the hands of the family. The family had to look after the family. A widow could find herself in a place where she had no one to look after them. And so widows and children, particularly orphans, became uh, the people who were the most disadvantaged in that culture. And so as God was saving people, bringing them into the church, thousands of them coming in, building up, uh, what happened was widows were looking to the church uh, to look after them, looking to their church family to look after them because they had no one else, nowhere else to go. Now, how did this, this happen? Well, who knows? We're not told. It could have been accidental rather than intentional. It could have been racial. It could have been... We just don't know what happened. It doesn't matter why the problem arose. What matters is when a problem arises, the church has got to deal with it. When you've got a problem, it's your job to go and make something happen and fix it quickly to get it done. And so here's a problem. It's a big problem and it needs a big solution and people were being distressed. Uh, we do need to also know not only just about welfare, which I'll come back to, uh, but the second thing is that um, the word used here for complaint is not the way that 
it comes across. That is, uh, complaint can be a good thing. You just go, oh, I've got a complaint. We've got a problem. We need to fix it. You know, you can use the word complaint like that. There's a, the complaints department. Look, I've had a problem. We need to fix it. And they fix it. That's not really how the word's being used here. It's been using here, here much more like grumbling and complaining and dissension and they're getting into groups and there's going to be a fight if things aren't fixed soon type complaint. Not the complaint of something needs to fix. The complaint of everyone's distracted. There's a big issue. Everyone's talking. They're all off the ball. You know, uh, there's a legitimate way to fix problems, but the Bible's really clear. God does not want us grumbling and murmuring. That's not how you fix anything. That's really doing what the devil wants. He doesn't want us doing that. He wants us to fix things quickly. And there's a whole bunch in the Bible about doing that. Uh, we're told in Philippians 2, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. It's not the way we go. We go fix things. We don't just whinge and go on about it. And because uh, we're in the mode of hospitality, which is the hospitality weekend, hopefully you've been hospitable or you've been hospitalised. No, that doesn't work either. But you know what I mean? We've, we've eaten with someone and it's been good. 1 Peter 4 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't whinge. Eat with people. Take them for a coffee. Go for a burger, talk, chat. And it's a great way of helping our friends who don't know Jesus as well as encouraging one another. Uh, but we've got some guidelines about supporting widows, which is the hospitality or the welfare that is happening in this situation. So listen carefully to 1 Timothy. This is where it's first starting in Acts, but by 1 Timothy, a bit further down the road, there's more things are spelled out by Paul uh, to Timothy in Ephesus. Support widows who are genuinely widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must learn to practice godliness towards their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The real widow, left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. It's a way of saying not a Christian, living for themselves. Command this also so they won't be blamed. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, that is his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow should be placed on the official support list unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works, that is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. Uh, what that means is she's really a Christian and she showed it in the way she lived. And so here you have, different to what a lot of people think, uh, this is a focus on Christian widows. Uh, that is, God does tell us to love our neighbour and care for others, but in the early church, what we see is they'll know we're Christians by our love. It's going, look at the way they're looking after their widows. Look at the way they're looking after one another. Look at the way they're caring after their poor. It's not so much, look how they're looking after everyone, though we are to love our neighbour. It is focused on, look at how the church is treating the church. Look how God's people look after God's people, and then people attracted to listen to Jesus. 
And so this problem's happening, there's something unfair happening in the daily distribution of food. And so verse 2, uh, the apostles call a meeting. They summon everyone together uh, and they have a meeting about it. It's a big problem and it needs a big solution. We do have to remember there's been 3,000, maybe just men, uh, you know, in chapter 2. Chapter 4, there's 5,000 uh, men. That's 8,000 plus women, plus kids, plus everyone who's going greatly numb. There's a big, this is a big problem. This is not two or three people whinging. This is probably thousands. There's a big thing happening uh, and they're dealing with it. So one, grumbling and dissension stops. The word of God spreads, people are saved, and the church grows when problems are dealt with quickly. And two, we have a clear priority of prayer and proclamation. A clear priority of prayer and proclamation. Verse 2 and 4. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Four. Uh, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching ministry. So the apostles, the 12 apostles, are very, very clear on what their job is and what needs to happen. They're very, very clear on their priorities. Uh, the priority, their priority is to be a witness to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Their priority is to church plant, really. Their priority is to make sure people know the right words to say, to talk to other people so they're taking out the gospel. Their priority is to write the Bible. They're very clear on what they have to do, pray and proclaim. And we don't want to be sidetracked by having to do other things. It would not be right for us to do. We've got to make sure that this is happening. And, uh, and so they have this very clear in their head of what their priorities should be. They're not saying it's a bad thing about the widows. They're not saying that it's not worthy of time. Uh, they're not saying it's, you know, they're just saying, let's make sure we got our priorities right in all that we do. And we need leaders like that who resist the pressures of all the good things that we do. All of our ministry is important. Children's ministry, youth ministry, prime timers, mowing the lawn, cleaning the toilets, giving us a coffee. All the things that are all very important ministries. But we've got to keep remembering and don't forget what the primary is, getting the gospel out there. Praying and getting the gospel out there is what God's left us here for. And it's not right that we get that priority wrong. Uh, but we're going to say more about that. So grumbling and dissension stops, the word spreads, people are saved and the church grows when problems are dealt with quickly and leaders have a clear priority of prayer and proclamation. That's what needs to be happening. And three, we agree to appoint people to tasks. Verse three, five and six. Therefore, brothers, look and select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. This, propo this proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose seven men. Verse 6, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. And so the solution was to select, to look for seven men, in this case, uh, in the church, to lead this ministry and to take on the duty of the church. Uh, they picked seven men with Greek names. And if you remember, it was the Greeks who were sort of complaining to the Hebrew Jews. And so you see there's been a very diplomatic um, solution to this. And this pleased the whole company. It seemed fair. Uh, they're on about fixing the problem, getting rid of the barriers so that the church will get on with their job. And, um, but you have to ask a question here. Does this mean that these seven men don't have to speak up for Jesus? 
I hope you're learning from Acts so far that that's not true. The next chapter has got Stephen preaching. Uh, Philip is called an evangelist in chapter 21. They're not quiet, no. The point is not that some people have the responsibility to speak about Jesus and other people don't have to, no. We all have the task of standing up for Jesus, taking out the gospel. We've all got the task of talking about how much we love God and what he's done for us. We've all got that task, but we've all got different duties that we all share and together everything gets done in all the different ministries. Uh, that's how it's working. Um, uh, we're all ministers. We're all to work in teams. We're all on God's team, being prepared by word ministers for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4. And so they agree to appoint these seven men to these tasks. Now, some people see this as uh, the first expression of the beginning of the development of church structures and church leaders. These guys are not particularly called deacons, but many people see elders, deacons, it's a start of that process as they're sort of raising up. So these guys could have been raised up as leaders or they could have been just raised up as people who are taking a responsibility. In the end, it doesn't matter because God has a job for every one of us and so maybe the best way of putting it is they are agreeing to appoint people and leaders to tasks. It's still all of us. So grumbling and dissension stops, the word spreads, people are saved, and the church grows when problems are dealt with quickly, we have a clear priority of prayer and proclamation, and we agree to appoint people and leaders to tasks. But not just any people. We need to uh, appoint people... For with the right qualifications, with the right qualifica qualifications. And so what are the qualifications? Verse 3 and 5. Verse 3, of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. And verse 5, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So what we have is qualifications. You don't just pick anyone for any job in the church. You need people who have a good reputation. It's literally a good martyr. Uh, you know, you might have heard the word martyr. It means a good witness. And so we are to pick men, uh, women too, but men in this case, men who have a good witness. That is, they stand up for Jesus and they speak up for Jesus and they are people who are, have a good witness. That is, they are standing up for Jesus and speaking up for Jesus as they go about life. They're not silent about him. They're not being quietened. They're not being distracted. They are standing up and speaking for Jesus and they are full of the spirit and wisdom Full of the spirit and wisdom means they are converted. They really are saved. Jesus has changed their heart by the gospel. They have been turned to the Lord Jesus. They trust and obey him. And wisdom is they are filtering all they do through God's word. What does Jesus want us to do? What does the Bible tell us to do? And so they are using the wisdom of applying that to their everyday circumstances. And so they are to pick people who are really converted, who have a good witness and who are using God's word uh, as a filter for how they live and what they do and what they think about what God says. For those of you who've been around a while, you know that every November 
We do a month of preaching on leadership. We hand out our Understanding Leadership booklet. We ask you all to pray about leadership. Uh, we ask you to look at what God says about it. We ask if there's any reason why we shouldn't be leaders, who we have as leaders. We ask to see as God raising up other leaders. And uh, we do that and then we uh, celebrate. We thank God for all that everyone has done during the year. And then we recognise the leaders for the next year and we pray for them. Why do we do that? Uh, why do we have standards and why do we want you to know the standards of leadership? Well, so that we'll recognise them. But, but is it so that you can just say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not a leader. I don't have to do all that stuff they do. I'm just going to sit hiding here and I don't have to do it. And I'm so glad I don't have to be serious about following Jesus. I can just pretend. No, no, no. It's because we want leaders who are setting the example for all of us so that we know that's what all of us are to be like. So we want examples to follow so that we will have people to look to and follow uh, because leaders who lead us in the right direction are so important in the church because the, the church really collapses from the top down or from the bottom up. Here we're looking at the top down. You get rot in the leadership. The rot will affect the whole church. Most denominations and churches fall apart from the leadership down. And so it's so important that you are praying for our leaders, looking for leaders, having leaders you can follow and imitate. And so notice here, even the task of handing out food in the Bible wants qualifications of godliness. Did you notice that? Even as we clean, as we do whatever jobs around the church, uh, God is concerned with godliness. And so, grumbling and dissension stops, the word of God spreads, people are saved, and the church grows when problems are dealt with quickly, we have a clear priority of prayer and proclamation, we agree to appoint people and leaders to tasks, we share the work with the right qualifications, not just anyone, and lastly, and maybe most importantly, or as a great way of summarising what God cares about, that we are five driven by God's purpose. Driven by God's purpose. And so look at verse 7 again. Let's think about it again, what God's saying. It's the consequence of dealing with an issue properly, in a biblical way, in a godly way, in a helpful way is, so the preaching about God flourished the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Can you see the outcome that God wants? Can you see what's to be driven? We're always to look at things, leaders to look at, where to look at. Does this help the gospel to go out? Does this get rid of the thing that's distracting us? Does this help God's word to flourish and get out for people to hear it? Are people, could people be saved from this decision? Will more work get out? That's the thing that will drive us. That's God's priorities, you see. Driven by that, what God wants us to be driven by. And as we make decisions, you keep asking, will this help God's word go out? Will this, could God use this to save people? That's what we're always asking. You know, is it worth fighting over the colour of the carpet, the paint of the walls, the way someone looked at me? Is that going to help the gospel go out? Has to be dealt with. But is it really what's important? What's really important is, is the gospel getting out there? So I hope you're all signing up as leaders as day camp. No excuses. Let's get there, as long as you've got a working with children check. Now, um, <clears throat> And so that's the ultimate thing that gives God glory as we keep thinking about that so that he is brought great glory as people hear about Jesus and as he calls people in and they're being saved. But it's, this has got one of the most exciting verses in the Bible. Did you hear that exciting verse in that as I read it a couple of times? 
and many priests became obedient to the faith. Do you know why that's exciting? Who were Jesus' greatest opponents? Who were the ones who were vying with the Sadducees and Pharisees and the scribes to get him killed? Here are the greatest opponents, and here we're told many priests became obedient to the faith. What are we seeing? What we're seeing is how powerful the message about Jesus is. It changes people's lives radically from opposition to support. We're going to hear about Paul in another couple of weeks. One of the greatest Pharisees type priests says he gets converted and he becomes someone that God uses to write most of the New Testament. Who God's gospel changes people. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. No one's going to be saved without God working through the powerful gospel that they hear. And so there's nothing more important than getting everything out of the way, every excuse we make, everything that we're doing that's stopping us, taking out God's word, helping people to hear it so that God can call in and save people and you can see the power of the gospel at work. Um, when we're concerned that God's word spreads out, most of the things we argue about disappear. We're just sidetracked by stuff that isn't important. And when you're getting too whingy and too grumbly and too witchy with a bee and you know what's happening to you, you've got to ask the question of yourself, you know, am I trying to spread God's word or am I on about something else? Because you know what the answer is, don't you? You don't really care about God's word. You're caring about something else. Yes, you have to deal with it. Yes, we've got to have good relationships. Yes, we have to do that. But this is what God wants us to be on about together and working towards don't let anything distract you from standing up and speaking out for the God who stood up and spoke out for you on the cross, so to speak. So, grumbling and dissension stops. The word of God spreads. People are saved and the church grows as, when. Problems are dealt with quickly we have a clear priority of prayer and proclamation. We agree to appoint people, leaders to tasks with the right qualifications driven by God's purpose. May we be driven by God's purpose so that we're not distracted or put off or sidestepped from what God says is very important to him and he wants it to be important to us too.